Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, to the, and welcome. This is already off to a rollicking start. Welcome to the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Before we begin, Dylan Hughes, I always like to surprise you with these intros. Ian Eagle's father is named Jack Eagle. I found this out listening to the Levitard show. Is Jack Eagle the greatest name of all time, Dylan Hughes? You know, if this was recorded like three hours ago, I would have said yes. But I just found out on National Signing Day, which I also found out a few hours ago, that today was National Signing Day. For college football, I found out that there is a guy that signed to USC named Jackson Dart. And when I saw that name, it just clicked with me. I was like, it, it may not top Jack Eagle. Like, we may have to do a separate pod ranking names all time. Um, sports or non-sports, you know, we can make it a an all-encompassing ordeal. But Jackson Dart is under consideration for me. I don't know about you. Jackson Dart, I mean, maybe not greatest name ever, but that is a the epitome of a college name. And and he's a quarterback too. So like Oh, that oh okay. No, that Dart dude, is a quarterback. Dart? I mean, come on. You know Ooh, the announcers he, are gonna love that one. He might have just sealed it. He might have just sealed it. Good job, Jackson. I'm proud of you. Um, we before we start our Western Conference preview, which is why we're here today, we're not here to talk about Ian Eagle and his father. Um, we do want to, we did want to touch on Giannis signing the Supermax, and we want to thank the content gods because normally this would have led the whole season's worth of content of, oh, is Giannis going to leave the Bucks? Oh, is Giannis going to go to the Heat or the Warriors or wherever? Dylan Hughes. Say your say your thanks to the god of contract extensions. Oh, when when we get off this podcast and for the second night in a row, I will be thanking. I will get down on my knees, with or without clothes. We'll leave that to the listeners' uh, imagination, and I will be thanking <laughs> the content gods because, for the love of God, and I told Alex before the pod that. Giannis will soon be a quarter of a billionaire, but I want to buy this man a cake because this man saved our souls from Bleacher Report and ESPN and everyone else just shoving down our throat that Giannis Antetokounmpo is in fact a free agent. And wow, look at this big market team that has money and it's just going to soak up more attention than they already have. Maybe Giannis is going to go there and, oh, let's look at the fit before the season even starts. Let's look at the fit of Giannis with the Warriors in Miami. And you know what Giannis said? Fuck you. I'm resigning with Milwaukee. I don't care if our coach sucks. I don't care if you just completely messed up a trade that would have made us probably a lot better. I'm resigning with Milwaukee. And for that, Giannis Antetokounmpo is getting a cake from me. All right, now the real question is, what flavor of cake would you get him? And I guess another question, in true journalism fashion, I'm going to ask you a question as part of the question. And Mm. what cake do you think Giannis would want? 
Well, see, that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't want to buy him a cake he wouldn't like, so I feel like I would have to meet with him beforehand, um, which is a meeting I could easily set up, obviously. Like, he has time. Oh, he, has, totally. he, can make, he can make time for me, so that wouldn't be a concern. Um, even in the COVID, you know, life, I think Giannis would be willing to take that meeting. So, you know – I'm thinking since he's since he's Greek, maybe something off the wall like some strawberry, some strawberry cake with like some white icing. I feel like I feel like that would be something different for him that he would appreciate. Um, so that's what I would that's what I would think. But obviously, maybe he's a chocolate guy. Maybe he likes sprinkles on top. You know, so these are things that in this very important meeting that will be set up at some point. Um Particularly, you know, maybe when he comes to Indiana next time, he'll he'll set some time aside and, and we'll figure this thing out. I mean, chocolate cake, unless you're a monster, everybody likes chocolate cake. Like, there's nothing wrong with chocolate cake. I think, I think, I don't know Mr. Atanakubo personally. I probably butchered his name there. I'm sure he likes himself a chocolate cake. <laughs> chocolate cake i am very very tired again for the audience (laughs) i'm going to butcher some stuff probably but content um who doesn't like chocolate cake i mean everybody likes chocolate cake you know i like chocolate cake but as i've gotten older like there there is such thing as too much chocolate i will say that and of sometimes course. sometimes chocolate cake feels like a little bit too much. Like if you get past one piece, it's a little too much. But uh, you know, obviously it, it still it still works for me, but in moderation. I mean, two pieces of chocolate cake is probably a little too much for me. Yes. I, I'm I'm a one piece of cake kind of guy. Like cake is too sugary. Now cookies, right. chocolate chip cookies, oof, don't don't give me a plate full of chocolate chip cookies. It'll go bad. <laughs> It'll it'll go bad for the cookies, and probably yes, bad for cookies. My cookies will be demolished. Um, despite having sensitive teeth, ice cream is gonna go. It's gonna go quick. Um, but cake, cupcakes, you know, there's just something about the the dryness of it. If it's a very moist cake or cupcake, it's different. If it's dry, you know, it's a little bit tougher to throw those down. The Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour, folks, where the cake analysis is just as good as the basketball analysis. Just wonder, wonderful stuff. You're you're on a heater early on, Dylan. You've had a great, you've had a great few last shows, and you're already off to a great start. You're already off to a great start, and this is going to be a great pod. Like I said, Western Conference preview. Um, but before we start that, I do want to say, because I don't want to say this at the end, because Dylan and I have a tendency to ramble, and I'm guessing this pod will probably be over two hours again. Um, So I want to say this at the front end is that what we're doing for the season is we're going to take next week off and we are going to preview three teams a week. We're going to devote about 20, 25 minutes to each team. And we're going to just go in depth on each team for that given week. Right? So if we record on Wednesday from Wednesday to Wednesday, so I'll give the example for the first week, Dylan and I will each pick a team. Then we'll be forced to pick a shitty team that neither of us really wants to watch. (laughs) We're going to have to, we're going to have to accept watching. So for week one, Dylan and I agreed to the Dallas Mavericks, the Phoenix suns and the Washington wizards. 
And Dylan, you and I, I think, are both very excited for this concept because we can consume the games in a lot of different ways and we can just see, we can keep a pulse on some of our favorite teams that way. Yeah, and I think it's better this way than to just kind of like mishmash all the headlines of the week, which is what basically every other basketball podcast does. And this way is going to be like, you know, we're, we're going to, well, first of all, we're going to be equally dedicating time to each team instead of just focusing on the top teams and discussing their greatness. You know, we're going to, we're going to touch on the bad teams. We're going to give you good, good Pistons analysis. We're going to give you good Knicks analysis. And as much as we're going to hate it, we're going to give you good Kings analysis, but <laughs> You know, either way, you're going to get good analysis on every team, and that's that's all we can do. I mean, that's and that's I think what we're going to appreciate doing is that we're better in depth guys anyway. You and I, we're more we're more at with ourselves, and we can just like dedicate ourselves to one thing. And the nice thing about this is too is that we can develop opinions on the other teams <laughs> that we'll focus on later in the season by watching them maybe against, you know, the Mavericks or the Suns or the Wizards. I probably wouldn't formulate an opinion on a team based on how they play against the Wizards cuz the Wizards defense is going to be maybe worse than it was last year. <laughs> and they had one of the worst defenses of all time. But on that note, let us start with the first team that we mentioned in what we're going to do for our season. I kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. Forgive me. Um, again, <laughs> very tired. The Dallas Mavericks. So what we're doing again this week is we're doing floors and ceilings for each team. And I will read the rotations and then toss it to Dylan for his floor and ceiling. And then we'll we'll go back to me. So the Dallas Mavericks for their rotation, I have Luka Doncic, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, Dwight Powell, Kristaps Porzingis, he is hurt, but he will be back in January, so I just put him in there. Um, Jalen Brunson, Josh Richardson, Maxi Kleba, and then I had Boban in question mark. I don't know if he'll actually play, but I'm assuming he probably will at some point. So Dylan Hughes, ceiling and floor for the Dallas Mavericks. Okay, so this is this is my hot take of the pod. Um, we're just going to get straight out of the gate here. So I think my, my ceiling for the Mavericks is the one seed. And I think obviously health is going to be an issue here, which is why it's good. Again, that we're doing ceiling and floor because ceiling assumes everything goes right, which means that, that Porzingis comes back and never gets hurt again, which as we know, is definitely not a guarantee. But if he does come back healthy, I believe that the Mavericks have just as good a shot at the one seed as the Lakers and Clippers. Wow. Because I think this team is fucking awesome. Like, we've talked about it, but last season, I thought that if they didn't have Porz- – or if they did have Porzingis, they were going to beat the Clippers. And – is you know after that it's all matchup dependent, but Porzingis and Luca together are incredible. Like Luca has proven himself as one of the best creators in the league, despite his lack of speed and athleticism. He's just figured out how to get to the rim either way. I mean, this was a dude that was being guarded by Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and was scoring anyway. Like it didn't really matter who was guarding him. He's he's almost like on that LeBron. 
you know, Kawhi level, Kevin Durant, where it doesn't matter who's guarding him. You can throw the best guy on your team at him. It may make it tougher, but he he's just so smart at using his body and and finding angles. That he he scores either way. And obviously the passing too, when you have Porzingis who is a seven foot three, you know, sniper, like it's it's really hard to guard those two. And you put on top of that that you just added Josh Richardson, who again, like you get rid of Seth Curry, who was a very nice bench shooter for you, could play with your starters very seamlessly. Josh Richardson is an easy upgrade. Like he that is the exact type of player they needed. Like I, I thought they would have had a perfect offseason if they signed like Justin Holiday. That would like if they just had like a wing defender that could shoot, maybe create a little bit off the dribble. I think I thought that was enough. And they go out and get Josh Richardson, which is way better than what I thought they needed. So I mean, this this is a team right now that has two, you know, you get your two stars and then you get your third guy that's really good as a third guy. So I think that their ceiling is absolutely the one seed. Um, and like you throw on top of that, that Tim Hardaway has really found a nice role with this team. Um, just, just a really nice like secondary or tertiary uh, creator. Like just, he's really found out whether it's just catch and shooter or off the dribble stuff. He's figured it out. Maxi Kleba is legitimately one of the most versatile defenders in the league. Yes. Like it's, it's I don't think people really realize it because he's not a name, but like this dude was literally guarding Kawhi Leonard. Like literally, like they Rick Carla has that much trust in him. And obviously, uh, you know, Kawhi scored on him plenty, but just just to have the uh trust in him to throw him on him and like he's switching on the guards. I mean, this dude is like the perfect guy to have next to all these creators. Like he he is a very good defender. Um, Jalen Brunson's coming back good off the bench. They re-signed Trey Burke, who had a really nice bubble. Um, Dwight Powell is coming back. He was hurt last year too. And then Dorian Finney-Smith is just a great, you know, three and deep type of guy. So, I mean, I think, I think this, uh, I think this rotation is awesome. Like, and, and just the star power they have, they absolutely, to me, can be a one seed. And because of all that depth, I think their floor is is the four seed, and and it could it could end up going lower than that because as we discussed pre pod, like the West is very tight, and you can be a seventh seed and be a game back from the two seed. Like it really is that close, but I I just really think they have enough where to me their four their seat their floor is the four seed because. You know, even if they suffer some injuries, unless Luca is one of them, I just I think that uh, that his his willpower alone is enough. I thought I was high on the Mavericks. <laughs> I I thought, wow. Um, so okay, so I I think we'll have to agree to disagree. And if the if Luca proves me wrong, then I will gladly take being proven wrong. But here's. Okay, so my floor, my ceiling for them was four, and my floor was eighth, right? Here's the reason why. So I don't think you're wrong about any of what you said about the team, right? Like Richardson was a clear improvement over Curry. Um, Luca should probably take another leap this season, if that's even possible. 
<laughs> like in terms of second seasons, that's about as good as you can do. I mean, so this is the thing for me with the Mavericks, right? They got better, but the teams ahead of them didn't really get worse with the exception of the Rockets and the Thunder. The Rockets will get to in a, in a later. I don't know what the fuck <laughs> about the Rockets. I, I just, I think the Rockets are a shrug, but so let's just, let's examine the other teams, right? So the Nuggets, right? Who are our next team? I mean, they lost Tory Craig and who else did they lose? They lost a couple other guys, but like the Nuggets, they lost Jeremy Grant. I don't think the Nuggets are going to be worse in the regular season. I don't think the Clippers are going to be very worse. I don't think the Jazz will be worse. And the Jazz were like, they finished six, but they were at the top five all, all last season. They weren't, they tanked out of the five seed. I think that can be agreed upon because they wanted to play Denver in the first round, which ended up being the right, <laughs> the right call, obviously. Um, so the two LA teams, Utah and Dallas, and then you have Portland, who I thought Portland, if Portland was healthy all year last year, I would have said they were better than Dallas. They weren't healthy all last year, so I couldn't say that, but the point differential last year on last year's Mavericks was fascinating because they had a great point differential while having an average, average defense. And getting Dwight Powell back is going to be huge for them. I think that that is going to unlock a new level. Um, I don't know who they're going to start. Like, I know I had Finney Smith and Hardaway starting, but they could easily start Richardson, and it would make sense. I think your 76ers approach with Richardson would be smarter, or you have Richardson coming off the bench. Um, I don't know. I like the Mavericks. I think they're going to be a fun, fun offensive team. I just don't know how they're appreciably better than the, those four teams, those four or five teams that I mentioned. The thing, the thing for me was, and of course they're coming into the season with, with some differences too, because like it took a while for, for Luca and KP to get on board last year. Like, the first two or three months of the season, I think everyone was like, wow, like, I don't know if this is going to work. Because because Luca had an injury he missed like a couple weeks, I think, and all of a sudden Porzingis was awesome. So people were like, wow, like, can they even play together, you know, and all those questions. Um, and they didn't really get into great rhythm until the bubble, it seemed like, and that's when they played their best basketball of the season. So, obviously, Porzingis is going to miss the beginning. So, you know, who knows if they're going to be able to hit the ground running. But I just think, like, if you compare it to last season, I just think that um, – I just think that they have a little bit better chemistry and they have more time together. And, you know, adding Richardson is going to change things, especially if he is in the starting lineup. That does require a lot of change. Uh, if they bring him off the bench, it's not as bad because you don't have to worry about him meshing as much with those those big pieces. But, you know, you want to talk about the big four in the West last year, and, like, I think the Mavericks were probably better than the Jazz and, and Denver before Porzingis got hurt. Like, and, you know, I mean, the thing about Denver is, yes, they made it to the Western Conference Finals, but they also almost lost the two series before that. Like, we should give them credit for 
overcoming two straight 3-1 deficits, but they also put themselves in a major hole to start. And, you know, they I think they have to take a little bit of a hit for that. Plus, their roster got worse. And, like, you know, you are right that the regular season may not impact it as much, especially if, like, I guess Bull Bull's the backup center now. If If he's, like, awesome right off the bat, then, you know, maybe it is tough for the Mavericks to pass them up. But, and, and you know, the Jazz are getting Bowie on back. So, that you know, I definitely could be off base here. But I just feel like there's there's so much with, with Luka and Porzingis together. I mean, like, just watching them in that Clippers series, it just really put, put them in a different stratosphere, stratosphere for me. Where I, I mean, I looked at that team. I'm like, man, if they get one more piece, they're a finals contender. That's legitimately how I looked at it. And I don't, I don't know if Josh Richardson is that. Um, he probably isn't, but he definitely gets them closer with, than where they were last year. And if we know one thing about the Mavericks, is that they can create good point guard play out of thin air. Like, and I think that that will benefit Josh Richardson. I think Josh Richardson will have a career year offensively playing under Carlisle. And I do, I just think the team makes more sense now. Like we talked about in our team, I think I had a team needs podcast. I remember if it was you or was, if it was with like Caleb or something, but the team need I had for Dallas was just upgrading Josh Jackson or Justin Jackson, excuse me. And they improved that spot. I mean, Josh Richardson is a massive upgrade over Justin Jackson, just massive. I just again I'm concerned but they could definitely I could definitely see them exceeding my expectations because Luca is that good. Luca as crazy as it is to say he has LeBron James expectations now <laughs> coming into the third season which is untenable expectations for anyone but if he can live up to them then he's going to be an all-time great player. And having an all-time great player on your team I think guarantees you a top 4 seed. It's just that there are, I would say, <laughs> let's see, in the West, so Kawhi, LeBron, that's two all-time great players right there. Steph Curry, it's three, but his team, we'll talk about them later, is not as good as the other teams we meant we're going to talk about. So we'll see. I think that Luka is very special, and I think it's going to be a fun first week of watching all their games. I think you and I will agree on that. Like watching their games the first week, I think that'll be the most fun we have for the season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we definitely did a good job picking them out because, I mean, watching Luka is just, it's something else. But, you know, one thing I will say is devil's advocates myself is that that they did get rid of J.J. Barea. So, you know, that's the glue that holds everything together, and I'm kind of worried about that. The last link to the 2011 title team, even though he did leave, but we we're gonna conveniently ignore that. <laughs> who, yeah, he he never went to Minnesota. I don't know. I don't know who ever thought that, but he never went there. What's a shocker that JJ Barea would be off the Mavericks permanently first, or that Udonis Haslam is still on the Heat? I think Udonis Haslam's gonna be on the Heat for the rest of my life. I really, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. The you know the like I'm pretty sure they're not saying this because it's illegal, but the reason that they're keeping him on the roster is that 
he's going to be an assistant coach, but they don't want to pay him like the assistant coach salary. So they're paying him $2 million, which it's a pretty sweet gig. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, yeah. based on the franchise. I mean, he's, has he been there since the first heat title in 06? He's he and D Wade got there the same year. <laughs> he's he never made it, He made it through Miami. He's been there the whole time, even when D Wade left. It's incredible. It's incredible. He's so what he, he's on his he's coming up on his fourth president while with Miami. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> incredible information. Incredible pull there from Dylan Hughes. In an unrelated transition, let's go ahead and move on to the aforementioned Nuggets. So my rotation that I have for the Nuggets is Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Jamichael Green, Nikola Jokic, Monte Morris, Michael Porter Jr., Paul Millsap. I did not have Bull Bull in there, but I had P.J. Dozier in question marks because mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to play, but he played a lot in the bubble, and I think that was kind of like an extended training camp for them. So Dylan Hughes ceiling and floor for the Denver Nuggets. So the way I looked at this, like my top four seeds are pretty solidified to me because this is how I look at the West. I look at the West as LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, and Nikola Jokic. And no, no shame on Dame. Everyone knows I love Dame here. But to me, those are the four like guys in the conference and I I would throw Dame in there, but for this, for this purpose, I'm going to say that he's like, this is how I look at the West right now. Like those are the guys. And, and it's, it's hard for me to not see those guys being in the top four. So for that reason, I had the nugget ceiling is two. Um, And obviously the likelihood of them getting the two seed is not great. But again, it's the same thing with Luka. You have Nikola Jokic, who we discussed at length in the past, that this guy is freaking awesome. And this guy is that top five type of player now. He proved he proved it in the in the he's proven it his last two playoffs. I mean, especially last season, like again, they were down three one twice in a row. And he was not the reason they they were down 3-1 and he was not really the reason they came back from 3-1 either because he was the same player throughout. It was everyone else around him that they got better, but he has just been that steady force for them. And like, he's, he's capable of creating magic for his entire team because he's just such a good passer. He's so good at getting to his spots and scoring. And that's just a guy that has proven that he can be relied upon to carry a team. So I think they, because of that alone, they have a ceiling as a two seed. I do have their floor as the five seed because again, the West is very good and it could be lower than the five seed. Like there is just so much talent out West right now. And, you know, there's always been a lot of talent out West, but these teams are getting better with each year. And I mean, losing, losing Grant and Plumlee could hurt 
It could hurt a lot because they did get Jermichael Green. I don't think Jermichael Green is as good as, as Jeremy Grant. And I like Jermichael Green. But and he's gonna fit great with Jokic, but I just Jeremy Grant's bigger and can do a little bit more off the dribble. So he he it's sad that he left because he felt like the perfect power forward for the future for them. And like it it sucks that he wanted to go to Detroit because uh Detroit is just awful. He could have been so good with Denver. I'm sorry, but Man, it just, it's going to hurt for a while that that happened because there's going to be a lot of Detroit hate on this pod this year. But, you know, it is like, you know, it is what it is in the past now. They re signed Paul Millsap, who's too old. Like that four, that four position is just a weakness for me. I, I worry about it a lot because Paul Millsap, as we saw last year, his offense is just done. It's, there's nothing really left. His, his, his he'll shoot wide open threes and just miss them. It was like Marcus All. Like they get wide open threes and it just doesn't go in. And for that reason, maybe Jermichael Green ends up starting at some point because he can hit shots at least. Um, Will Barton coming back is really good. I think if they had him in the playoffs, they probably. <sighs> I don't want to continue my Lakers hate from last season, but I want to say they would have beaten the Lakers. I just. They probably wouldn't have because we're just wrong on the Lakers, everything we say. But I'm going to say they would have beaten the Lakers, so there's that. Um, you know, P.J. Dozier is uh, – he's okay. I'm interested to watch R.J. Hampton because I think R.J. Hampton could be what I thought Zaire Smith was going to be, who to this point has been my biggest bust, Zaire Smith. I really wow. thought I really thought he was going to be awesome, and so far it hasn't worked out. I'm uh, still holding out some hope, but RJ Hampton is interesting. Like that dude is quick as hell. Like he, he's like a smaller uh, Michael Porter jr. To me where like, he's just, he's going to be a great off the off ball player. And those guys, as we've seen with MPJ work pretty damn well with Jokic, Like he's going to find cutters and shooters. So I think he's going to fit in. I don't know how much he'll play early on, but Considering they lost Torrey Craig, maybe he will uh, play a small role. But you know, I it just it's all built around Jokic, and and if Jamal Murray can pick up where he left off, they're going to be uh, pretty damn good again this season. Yeah, if Jamal Murray's a top twenty player again, because that's how, that's what he played like in the bubble. He played like the actualized version of himself, and maybe he took a leap. But I'm not entirely convinced because Jamal Murray's catalog up to this point hasn't been worthy of convincing. (laughs) You know, I don't think that he has been that player yet. So I actually had for the Nuggets what you had for the Mavericks. I think their ceiling is first, and I think their floor is about fourth. And realistically, they could finish worse than that. But I just don't think with those with that combination of talent and like they've been playing together for a long time now, like that group of Murray, Harris, Barton, Millsap and Jokic, like I'm assuming Green will start. But still, that that five right there, they've been together for the last like three years. I think this season is going to really benefit continuity. I think I said that on the last podcast with the Pacers. But the Nuggets, to me, have one of the higher 
like they have a high ceiling in general because of Jokic, <laughs> who we discussed, we think very highly of. But I just think with all the other talent they have as well, I think Dozier, if they like Dozier, I think that we should probably like Dozier. <laughs> just generally speaking, if the Nuggets like a player, he's probably good. <laughs> Hot take. I know. But I think that they're going to thrive this year with all the uncertainty. They'll get that home court advantage back. But I looked, I was looking while you were talking because I was curious. Because, you know, Denver has the famed home court advantage. The Nuggets were one of the best road teams in the NBA last year. Shockingly, I know. Because the Nuggets are never a good road team. But let's see, let's check the road record real quick because I went away from it. The Nuggets finished 20 and 16 on the road. That's not the Denver Nuggets we know and love. I think that if they can keep that up, I think that they're just one of the top teams in the league because that's, I mean, for the Nuggets, <laughs> that's pretty good, all things considered, given the altitude and the home court advantage for Denver. I mean, to be a great team, you got to win on the road. So that that's definitely true. And the continuity is important. Um I'm interested to see if Michael Porter Jr. does end up starting because I actually think it probably would be good for them to have Barton come off the bench. And it's just you need Porter to play with Jokic. It really just comes down to that because, as we've discussed at length, Porter's best attributes are cutting, shooting, and attacking offensive rebounds. And those are, you know, you're going to get the most out of him if Jokic is on the floor and if he's on the floor with Murray too, because Murray shoots a lot. So obviously Barton is a much better player at this point, but their, their depth isn't what it was in the past. So having Barton come off the bench, I think would be better for them. I think so too. I think that's a probably good idea. I like the idea of Jamichael Green and Paul Millsap, maybe small lineups, because Paul Millsap, for like all the guff that we've given him the last couple of months, he's still strong. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be an interesting kind of like spacey lineup when Jokic is off the floor. Like I know, I know Millsap can't really shoot, but still, I mean, having him as a dive man on a pick and roll because Jamichael Green can shoot. I actually think. You and I disagree about the Jeremy Grant thing. I do agree that that's a huge loss for the Nuggets, but $20 million a year, I would not probably pay that for Jeremy Grant. And I love Jeremy Grant. I don't think he's worth $20 million a year. I, that's not where I would have gone for him. But I think for what... How should, what's the right way to phrase this? It's not as big of a loss as it could have been if they didn't get to Michael Green, if that makes sense. Like it could have gone a lot worse. And I think Jermichael Green's a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good plan B because he was woefully miscast in the Clippers last year. I thought if the Clippers play him more in the second round, I think they win that series. He was way better than Montrez. I don't think there's really any doubt about that. And now he's going to be in a place where he can play power forward and five. I think it's going to benefit him a lot. I think Millsap will benefit from this, from playing the five more on offense. And I think it's just going to be because Millsap's passing two out of the pick and roll. Like it'll be basically what a better version of what Plumlee was. So I don't know. I think the team is fascinating. And I think really let's agree the top four seeds. We're waiting to see them in the playoffs, but I think we agree. I think we disagree on maybe what the top four teams are, but we agree that 
we're going to wait to determine who the actual best team is <laughs> until the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, I think everyone wants to write the Lakers or the Clippers in, which is fair. Like, we're, we're going to discuss them coming up. Um, but I don't know. Like, there's a lot there's a lot going on out West, and I think everyone gets attracted to those names. And obviously those guys have earned that respect, but, you know – there's there's a lot of talent out west, and it's uh, all it takes is one small two or three week injury here or there, you know, to lose to lose ground and and guys like Jokic, man, they they don't let off the gas pedal. Oh, absolutely not. But in the interest of brevity, let's go ahead and move on to the Golden State Warriors. Oh, how the mighty have fallen! Unfortunately, Clay Thompson tore his is Achilles. That's really sad. I don't think we really talked about on the, that on the pod, but we'll talk about it, I guess, now. that's That was a huge loss for them, but they added Kelly Oubre. So the rotation for the Warriors is Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, Draymond Green, James Wiseman, Brad Wanamaker, Kit Bazemore, Eric Paschal, and I had Looney as the backup center. So, Dylan, ceiling and floor for the Golden State Warriors. So these next two teams, I have the largest the largest discrepancy in ceiling and floor. Um, so the Warriors, the ceiling, I, I'm giving them a four. And for the floor, I'm saying ten. So <laughs> I had the exact same. <laughs> this is the thing. So they get the four ceiling because of Steph. As we've seen in the past, that man is quite good at basketball. And he, he alone, with some support, can do wonders. My problem is the rest of this team, who there's enough talent there where I think that they could support him to getting a four seed. But I also think that compared to the rest of the teams in the West, because I, I think the West is a 10-team conference. And – it would not shock me if they were the worst of those 10 because I'm sorry, but Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, I don't know if that's a great duo. Like on paper, it sounds okay. To me, it's like, Oh, a bunch of guys that are going to, or guys that are going to shoot a bunch of shots and maybe play defense. And, you know, maybe being, in Golden State under Kerr, maybe they they kind of fall in line. But I don't know. Like when that when they got Wiggins last year, I didn't see much of a difference. And you know, Steph wasn't really there, so maybe maybe he does kind of play off. And you know, when he played with Butler, he was actually pretty good at playing off in that off ball role. Like he was way better than I thought he was gonna be. He was actually pretty efficient and like he was finding good shots. Um, so maybe he's just a guy that has to have a, someone to defer to for him to really be the best player he can be. But the biggest thing for him is, is going to be the defense. Like if he's not going to defend at a high level, it's over for him. It just really is like, there's just no way around it. If he can't consistently stay engaged on defense, he's not, He's just, I mean, he's obviously not worth the contract he's getting anyway. But if he's going to be an offensive player and that's it, then this team is not going to work. 
Um, Kelly Oubre, I like, don't love. And that's just another guy that's going to want shots. So I, I worry about that. Um, Draymond Green, I just don't know. Like, who? what is he? He could slide back into what he was two, three years ago. But he his game, like the age of his game worries me. I think we've, we've seen his body kind of declining. His defensive versatility isn't what it was. Um, he's never been a good shooter. His game has never relied on that. It's just worked because he's had such great shooting around him. And this team right now, aside from Steph, does not offer the same kind of shooting. So you kind of wonder um, if his role is going to change and if he's going to be as effective. And then Wiseman is a rookie who has a ton of freaking talent. Um, but, I mean, we already have Golden State Riders saying he's going to be Giannis, basically. Which, That's which, ridiculous. Which basically means he's going to be horrible this year. Like, that just kind of guarantees it to me. Like, shout out to local media for hyping their guys up. But, like, geez, can we please stop with this? Um, and this this bench is – it's scary. I mean – Kent Bazemore, Brad Wanamaker, like I like Eric Pasco, but man, I it's just I'm giving them credit because of Steph, but outside of that, I have a lot, a lot of concerns. This team is very concerning. I mean, Brad Wanamaker, the Celtics thought so little of him, they replaced him with Jeff Teague, <laughs> and I don't know how much of Jeff Teague they've been watching. I've been really busy the last week, so I don't remember if we ripped on the Jeff Teague signing for the Celtics, but I actually would have rather had Brad Wanamaker. But nonetheless, not a good sign when your team is like, yeah, give me Jeff Teague over you in the year 2020. Um, Steph is so good. Like I said, I had the exact same ceiling in floor as you. I think this team is going to make the play in. Like they're they're too talented not to make the play in tournament. I don't think that's making the playoffs. For in my personal record book, that's not making the playoffs, making the play in tournament. But Steph is too good that they won't be worse than tenth. But they are a really shitty team. Andrew Wiggins to me is the captain of the Jeff Green All Stars. Like you you railed like against in the season or in the bubble preview, you railed against Kyle Kuzma. Man. Is there a more Jeff Green kind of player than Andrew Wiggins? Like 20, like the scoring numbers are great, right? They like pop off the charts at you. They're 17, 21, 23, 17, 18, 22. But then the shooting percentages are 43, 45, 45, 43, 41, 44.7. It's not great. The three point percentage, he shoots a lot of them and he only makes 33% of them. He doesn't get to the free throw line very much. He got to the free throw line seven times in his second year. And he really hasn't done that since. Um, he doesn't rebound. He doesn't. He doesn't pass. He's a terrible passer. I mean, scoring is the only thing he can do well. And if he can't pick up his defense, then he's practically worthless. As crazy as it is to say, like there is such a thing as empty stats. And Wiggins' stats through the first five years of his career have been empty stats. Or I guess there's six seasons. Excuse me. But I mean. Has there been a season where it hasn't been empty stats from him? So Oubre is a nice pickup for me. He's going to be able to play a lot of small ball four if they want to play Draymond at five, which I don't know why they would, but just in case they did. 
Um, none of them are particularly good shooters other than Steph. So this is going to be a fascinating spacing experiment because, like I said, Wiggins can't shoot. Oubre is like a 35% shooter, which is like, I don't even think that's league average anymore. <laughs> I think that might be below league average now, like how good of the shooting the league is. Um, Dre hasn't shot. Dre's only shot well, and that was when Luke Walton was the coach. That was the only time Dre shot well in his whole career. Wiseman, we don't know anything about. Neither of us, because we aren't um, scouts. <laughs> uh, Looney. Looney's like, oh, we're he has a new shot, but that sh- shot looks super slow to me. Um, Bazemore has never been a real good shooter, so you just go through the rotation. I don't know how the spacing's going to work, but I can't doubt Steph Curry. I, j- I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't think they'll... They'll finish worth than 10th. I think they're going to finish around eighth just because Steph is so good. I could see him averaging 30 points a game again. Cause he might have to, I could see him averaging 30 points at 10 assists. Like legitimately, he's going to have to have the ball in his hands way more than he's used to. And I think it's going to be a fascinating experiment. I want to see Eric Pascal with a good team around him. We saw Eric, like we saw Eric Pascal with a bad team and we liked what we saw. I think he translates well to winning. So I think the team is well positioned to, no, they're not going to contend. They can't win a, t- a championship with this team, but they're gonna they're gonna I think maybe shock some people with how maybe good they are, which is crazy to say about the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, and like I think they get the benefit of the doubt because the teams they're going to be battling with for those lower playoff seeds are like you know the Rockets, Grizzlies, and Spurs, and. Even if Harden does stay with the Rockets, which right now isn't looking great, I just am going to take Steph Curry over the rest of those teams. And that's really all it comes down to. So no matter what happens around him, which at this point on paper doesn't look great, um, you know, I'm just giving Steph the benefit of the doubt over the rest of those teams. He deserves it. I mean, he is – he is a top five player in the league when he's healthy. And I mean, he had a broken hand last year. He should b- bounce back fine. I mean, frankly speaking, if he doesn't, then I'm really concerned about what this means for the rest of his career. But again, in the interest of brevity, because <laughs> we're, we're already almost an hour in and we're only on three teams. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, this, this typical for us, I have to say. The Houston Rockets. I... Did not even have a ceiling or a floor for the Rockets. I just put a question mark by it all. I don't have a rotation for him. Um, Dylan, I'm not going to ask you what the ceiling and floor is for the Rockets because it sounds like you have a pretty wide gap. Do you think any of this matters if we don't know what the fuck is going on with James Harden? Um, Not really. I mean, the thing is, like, if he does get traded... It seems like they're probably going to get a good player back. Like when you just look around the league and there's always a team that kind of comes out of nowhere. And I can't think off the top of my head who that team might be. But right now we keep talking about the Sixers and the Nets. So I saw the Nets say they wouldn't trade Kyrie for him, which is a whole nother story how idiotic that would be. But... The Sixers, like, if they don't want to trade Embiid or Simmons, I I can understand that somewhat. Um, But, I mean, if they do, then, you know, this Rockets team would, with either of those guys, 
especially if it was Embiid, would be in pretty decent shape in the West. But, I mean, right now it's like who knows what the hell you're getting. I mean, really, it's – it, it's like kind of giving me a headache thinking about it because it, like it's it's kind of bothers me that he's still there just based on everything that's happening. But at the same time, I don't know how. I mean, this doesn't seem fixable at this point. And I mean, we've seen in the past when good players want out, they get out. So um, at some point, we'll see some of some sort of a remedy to this. I'm sure. But yeah, right now it's almost worthless to try to pinpoint where they're going to finish when the best player on their team is likely going to be gone. Yeah. That I didn't even bother predicting them. Cause it's like, why put in the thought exercise, right? Like if you don't know, it's better just to say you don't know. And I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I, I will say, I want to see John Wall do well. I want to see Boogie Cousins do well. They kind of get bad raps, each of them, but I love each of the way they play. I really love Boogie. I hope he can bounce back to like 25% of what he used to be, which is a sad statement. I just, I love Boogie, man. I mean, he's such a fun player. Like he's actually like a good post player, which we don't have enough of in today's NBA. Um, And John Wall is looking spry, which I mean, it's the preseason but he hasn't played in like two years. So that's a good sign, even if he's looking spry in the preseason. So the Rockets to me are just kind of a moot exercise. Um, PJ Tucker is probably going to be gone too at some point, which will severely weaken their team. Cause they're not, they weren't very deep to begin with. They traded Robert Covington. They signed Christian Wood, which I mean, whatever. Um, <laughs> the team is just, it's a fucking it's a fucking shit show. I'm just going to say it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why I didn't bother to predict anything. Yeah, like, even even if Harden was was great and happy, how do him and John Wall make any sense together? They don't. <laughs> they don't. I, like, it's, you know, they made it work with Westbrook, who has notoriously been a bad off-the-ball player. But for them to make it work, they got rid of their center. Like, they literally got rid of a position. How do you do that with John Wall? John Wall is not the same level of finisher as, as Westbrook. He's not as good at getting to the rim and finishing. I don't I don't see how how they would be able to make that combination work. I, I don't really know either. Um, John Wall, the last time he played, stood more than Dirk Nowitzki. I don't know if, you know, Dylan, I don't know if you saw him. Dirk Nowitzki at the end of his career. Didn't move very much. How do you well, move? Hey, at How least you... he had. At least he had an excuse. He had a hundred years of playoff experience and was forty years old. He, like, he was he was close to collecting Medicare checks. And John Wall is like not even thirty yet, or he's around thirty, and he suffers injuries falling downstairs or whatever. Like, like. I mean, maybe John Wall's older than we think. I mean, like suffering an injury, falling down the stairs or getting out of bed or whatever it was like, that is some serious old man shit right there. So maybe we're giving John Wall like too little credit. Maybe he is way older than his, uh, than his stat sheet is, uh, telling us. I mean, I don't, I don't think we could top that take for the Rockets. I, I, I don't think, I don't think any of our actual basketball analysis will top old man John Wall has been masquerading as a younger man than he actually is. 
Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to the Clippers. <laughs> um, so for the rotation, I had Pat Bev, Paul George, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, Serge Ibaka, Zubak, Lou Will, Luke Kennard, and maybe Nick Batum. I don't know if he's going to play. So Dylan, ceiling and floor for the Clippers. So I'm at ceiling one and floor three. I mean, this team to me is significantly better than last season. They didn't really change a whole lot, but like, it just felt like you had to get run get rid of one of Lou Will and Montrez. Like they were both really bad last year, mostly in the bubble, but having both of them who are both terrible defenders on your bench, it, it was just one too many holes. And I'm not going to say that was the reason they lost because when Paul George shot as bad as he did, you know, there's only so much you can do. But, I mean, Serge Ibaka to me, like, is the perfect fit. And we talked about him. You know, I wanted them to trade for him last season. And, you know, obviously the Raptors shouldn't have because they ended up getting the second seed in the East. But I wanted him there last year, and, and he – I still think he's great. Like I, I think the past two years in Toronto, he's played the best basketball of his career, and that's and that's that's a guy that was getting like four blocks a game down in OKC, but his game is so rounded out now. Like his offense is is so much better, his shooting is so much better. Like he, he's just a great center in today's game, and you know we saw what happened last time he played with Kawhi, so. I really like that addition. I think that's one of my favorite additions in the league. Um, and then they re-signed Marcus Morris, which is good. They trade for Luke Kennard, and that that was a that was a live reaction we had in that trade. It was. We both we both really liked that trade. That was draft night. Um, I mean that that was good for them because you know he's basically replacing uh, Shamit. And, you know, Shaman was good, but, like, he was just – he was a kind of like an off-the-screen shooter type of guy. And and for them to have a little bit more creation off the bench will be good. I do – I do worry a bit about roles here because having Kennard, Lou Will, and Reggie Jackson together, like, can you – you probably can't play all three of those guys. Like, no. I don't know how they're going to shuffle that. Uh, I just uh, wouldn't play Reggie Jackson at all. I mean, that's that's one way to avoid that problem. Yeah, and it wouldn't shock me if that happens and they just end up going down to like a nine-man rotation. But, um, I mean, that's really the only way that could work because those three together would be horrible. But having two of them together I think would work pretty well. Um, but I don't know. Like, I still kind of worry about this bench a little bit because Batum is is not nearly what he used to be. Zubac, That's statement. Yeah. Zubac is replacement level in my mind, which is fine to have off the bench. Like, he's right. He's a good rim protector. Um, pretty he's better on the bench than he was as a starter. Yeah. Yes. So he's, he's in a good role, and he's, he'll probably get, like, the perfect amount of minutes that he should get. So they're, they're good there. It's just everywhere else I worry. I mean, maybe Lou Will bounces back. Maybe since he has uh, certain entertainment clubs back in his life, he'll be uh, he'll be balanced out. But, you know, 
he's getting up there in age too. Like that dude's been around for a long time. So I don't know. I mean, the starting five is awesome, but I, I do worry about the bench a bit. So that that's where the downside comes in. But um, obviously having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George gives you a, a certain high ceiling. I only have one thing to say about the Los Angeles Clippers that you did not say. Cause I think, you know, everything you said is perfect. Abaka moving Zubak down to the bench that makes their team just so much better. Um, why didn't they sign DJ Augustine? <laughs> why did they let the Bucks sign DJ Augustine? They had one really glaring hole to me that they did not fix. The hole was not, was not filled. Right, this it's like Indianapolis potholes, you know. Shout out, shout out the city of Indianapolis and their pot, their countless, countless potholes. I've gone through many tires in my time here. Um, that was just a glaring hole to me that they did not bother to fix. They're just like, nah, we're gonna, we're gonna just not have a point guard. We're just gonna try to make up for it with Nick Batum and Reggie Jackson. What year is this? <laughs> what year is this? It's like. You would have gotten better playmaking in the playoffs last year by playing legitimately playing Joakim Noah. Legitimately, that would have been better than what they had. And Joakim Noah retired this offseason. It would have been better. I just don't know where that shot creation is going to come from. Because I've said this, I say this all the time, okay? And you know I say this all the time. Kawhi and Paul George had two of their best seasons playing with Lowry and Westbrook. That was not a coincidence. Sometimes you need to be set up. Yes, Kawhi's an all-time great isolation player. No one can really deny that from watching him, you know, in the Raptors playoffs, right? But Lowry took a lot of the load off of him. He only, he got set up at the end of actions rather than having to initiate them himself. He's not good at that. He's okay at it. He averaged a career high in assists last year. But let me look it up because I would bet you he also averaged a way career high in turnovers last year, too. I am correct. Career high in turnovers and a career high in assists. Kind of correlated, obviously, but I still think he should not have been trying to create for others as much as he was. And I think that's a like if Kawhi has a hole in his game, it's that he's not like a natural playmaker. And neither is Paul George. Paul George is a good playmaker for himself. Kawhi is a good playmaker for himself. They need someone who's a good playmaker for others. And Kennard can dribble a little bit. I don't like him in that role. Lou Will was only good at passing to Trez last year. Um, I don't like Reggie Jackson. I'm just going to say that flat out. I think he's one of the worst players in the NBA. <laughs> um, Pat Bev, to me, is kind of overrated. Marcus Morris, uh <laughs> Marcus Morris is going to take a lot of shots. Um, I don't know where the shot creation is going to come from on this roster. Like Surge. I honestly don't think Marcus Gasol would have been a bad fit here. I think he works better in LA, like in LA with the Lakers. But it's really neither here nor there because they just need help. They need it bad. Like, honestly, Dylan, I know this is going to sound crazy. Trying to get Al Horford wouldn't be the worst idea for them. It probably wouldn't be the worst idea because Al Horford led a team to the conference finals as recently as two years ago. And it's the Western Conference. I'm I'm aware. I'm aware. But are you telling me that he wouldn't do for PG and Kawhi what he did 
for Jason and Jalen. I, I don't think I think he would help them. I just they need something, right? They need to come up with something because what they're doing is not going to work. They're not going to win the championship this way. They can't. They don't have enough shot creation. Yeah. Al Horford, I don't know. I mean, it it would be good, but... It'd be better I than think, what they have. Yeah. I think just getting upgrading over Pat Bev, if possible, and I, I don't know who who's out there, who could be out there, but, you know, even if you're just getting, like, a, a somewhat similar level of player that's better at creating... And again, like you said, I mean, DJ Augustine would have been great. Like it, he's he's kind of looked at as a bit player, but like that dude has a history of being a very reliable playoff level point guard, whether he's on the bench or starting. Like he's he's had a he's had a really good career, and he's going to be really good for the Bucks. I don't – I just boggles the mind because they are just going to run it back. And Nick Batum, again, what year is this? Nick Batum hasn't been good since 2016, right? A minimum contract, sure. Run, roll the dice, whatever. But he's not going to be able to create the like – Nick Batum was always I, – I think we can agree on this. Nick Batum was always a little overrated. Like he wasn't ever what people said he was in Portland. He definitely wasn't what people said he – like – what um, Mitch Kupchak thought he was in Charlotte <laughs> or no Mitch, Mitch Kupchak would have been in Los Angeles that offseason but any chance to take a shot at Mitch Kupchak you best believe I'm going to take it um, God it I just wish they I just wish that they took the time to upgrade their point guard position because they they on paper have the best team in the NBA still but the problem is and what last year showed is that on paper isn't in practice, especially in basketball. And their team, to me, just doesn't make sense in that way. And I I don't think I ever said my ceiling and floor. Ceiling and floor is first and fourth in the West. I don't think that that's really – that's what matters with the Clippers. They, I mean, they brought in Kawhi to try to win championships. Kawhi, can, I think, can still opt out ne- after next season. And they better take that seriously and tr- try and get a point guard who can dribble <laughs> at the at the trade deadline. Yeah, and I'll just say about Nick Batum that he got traded from Portland because they didn't like him. <laughs> right. Like he he did have a good year in Charlotte that year, but we talked about this before. I think it was involving Kemba, maybe, but or maybe it's just their whole team. But like their definition of success was making the playoffs and losing in the first round. And because of that great success, they re-signed everyone to big contracts, including Nick Batum. And the, the great package they sent back to Portland was Gerald Henderson and a young Noah Vonley. And Noah Vonley may have just been drafted. He had to have been around... I was I believe that was the year after his rookie season. Yeah. And he was a lottery pick, so it's not like he, you know, was worthless. And Gerald Henderson was a decent rotation wing. I liked him personally. Um, but I mean that's not a great that's not a great package. Like Nicholas Batum, you know, 
he he's good, but he wasn't worth five years, 125 million. And that was four years ago. Now he's way worse. And again, like if this this roster would have been great a few years ago, but or it would have been better than it is at least. But yeah, I mean the shot creation is is really limited and it was a problem last year, like before the season even started. Like people were debating who was gonna lead this team in assists. And I yeah. thought it was gonna be Paul George because Paul George, like I thought his shot creation or his creation for others and his overall ball handling looked a lot better in OKC than it ever did in Indiana. So I thought he was gonna come into the the Clippers and and kind of take that role on and and Kawhi ended up being the one that stepped up the most, but again, he's he's just a guy that's gonna look for his shot first. And that's not a negative, like that's just his game. Um, so if they can figure out a way to upgrade over Beverly or maybe one of those bench guys, they have to pull the trigger. Yeah. And I would look for trades, but we don't, again, we're, we are five teams in and I believe we're also an, about an hour in. So let's go ahead and move on to our, the team that I'm sure we won't spend any time talking about. Cause we hate this team. It's the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, so I have their rotation being Schroeder, KCP, this guy named LeBron. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, Anthony Davis, Mark Gasol. I was going off of the um, the ESPN depth charts, and I think they had Mark Gasol starting, so it seems reasonable. Wes Matthews, Kyle Kuzma, Montrez, and Alex Caruso. So, Dylan, I think we don't have to spend a lot of time on this one because I think we talked a lot about the Lakers already this offseason. Ceiling and floor for the Lakers. <laughs> Yeah, so I went the same that I had with the Clippers, a ceiling of one and a floor of three. Um, I mean, this this team to me makes a lot more sense than the Clippers do. And, like, if I had to place bets, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think the Lakers will probably get the one seed. I mean, like, getting Schroeder was huge, I think. Yeah, that was the steal of the offseason to me. Incredible. Yeah, like – Again, as we talked about in the past, getting rid of Green's defense is going to hurt them at some point. Um, but I think the upgrade in the creation is as much is worth it with Schroeder. Because Schroeder, like the past two seasons in OKC, has been pretty damn good. Um, so playing with LeBron, he's going to look a lot better, obviously. And, you know, Having a having a uh, a big man like Mark or Anthony Davis, typically point guards do pretty well in those situations. So I think um, that's going to be good. And I like the West Matthews signing too. He's you know he's he's played off Giannis and you know it's not like much of a role change for him. I just didn't love the Harrell signing. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't think that was really a worthwhile use of funds, but. Um, It'll probably work out. I mean, you know, we'll see. Um, the The benefit for them is that they can go to Anthony Davis' center if they have to. So if Marcus and Harrell are both busts, at least when it comes to playoff time, you know, they have the benefit of being able to do that. But, you know, I, I talked about Gasol a lot last year, how his shot was just horrible. Um, I don't think it was much of a – 
I don't think they're expecting him to score. So I don't think it matters much. Like he's there to protect the rim and to pass. So that makes sense. But they probably will get the end, the the last little bit he has to offer before he retires, because <laughs> I don't think he's got much time left. But you know, they made they made good necessary improvements, and for that they'll probably end up at the one seed. I agree with pretty much everything you said. I didn't like the Harold signing for them, but I understood it right. Just like that Trez Schroeder pick and roll, which I'm sure will be their second unit offense, is going to be killer (laughs) um their team is just overall better on offense this year and they're a little worse on defense i think against the nuggets i think dwight howard which is crazy to say i think dwight howard against the nuggets kind of won them that series right like he played like like 2020 bill ambier against Jokic, and it worked he out muscled him i mean yoke dwight howard people like i mean they underrate him generally because he's been a fool. <laughs> he he deserves it, right? Like, it's kind of like the Kyrie Irving thing. Like, yes, Kyrie d- gets a lot of flack, but Kyrie deserves most of it. Dwight deserves most of it. But I think that Dwight was really, really key for the Lakers' success last year. And I don't know if Gasol does it the same way because the – the reason why Howard to me did so well on Jokic wasn't just his strength. It was because he's still super athletic. Like Dwight's however many years in the league and he's still a super athlete. It's crazy. So I do think that they maybe got a little worse on defense losing green and Howard, but on offense, this is just going to be a juggernaut. Even if even when I should say LeBron and AD sit. So I had one in three as well for the Lakers. I think that they're really they're by far the best team in the NBA to me. That doesn't mean that they're a shoe in for the championship, but I just don't think that there's anyone better than the Lakers. I you just really can't convince me that anyone is better than them. And I mean, Kuzma, I think will really it'll really benefit him having to take a lot lesser role <laughs> where he's can just like, you know, his I thought he was pretty good last year, even though we're you're a Kuzma. I think I can safely say you're a Kuzma hater, and I'm a Kuzma skeptic. Um, I don't know. I think that this is this is going to be a fascinating team to watch, and I think that they they should be favorites to repeat this year. Even though you think repeat champions are stupid, I do think they're stupid. But um, I actually thought Kuzma was good last year too. Um, you know. He wasn't as good as he thinks he is, but he was he was good enough. Um, and they, you know, when they needed him, he came through for the most part. So that's fine. And he's going to be relied upon even less this season, I would think. So um, that's always good. When when you can rely on Kyle Kuzma less, you're definitely in a in a good spot. Yeah, definitely. And I think that'll wrap up our Lakers coverage. Sorry, Lakers fans, but I doubt you're listening to this podcast anyway. Um, now on to our fate, my favorite team at the very least. I know you're a Pacers fan, Dylan, but let's be real. This is the team of your heart, the Memphis Grizzlies. So for their rotation, I have John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, who was actually 
like low key, very improved last year. He was very good last year. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. He is out at the moment, but he will be back at some point, and he will obviously fill that starting role. Jonas Valanciunas, Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, Justice Winslow, and your boy Brandon Clark. Dylan, ceiling and floor for the Grizzlies. You know, my the spirit that lives inside of me would love to give this team a ceiling of the one seed. But I, I think that's coming in maybe like 2023. So our future pod, let me just tell you this. If the Memphis Grizzlies ever win a title with this team, we will do things that the internet should never see. There will be a party. It could be me, you, it could be other people if they want, but this, this will be, this will be undocumented because there will be, Things that we will never want the public to see. I will just say that. Um, I'm just going to manifest that right now. Uh, <laughs> but that's for a later date, unfortunately. So for now, um, I'm giving the Grizzlies a ceiling of the five seed and a four of the ten. So again, this is a ten-team conference to me. And... I kind of have tiers set up here and I have the Grizzlies and the Spurs as like the two worst teams in, in of those 10 at the moment. Um, but that is before the Rockets trade Harden. So that could, that could change. Um, I definitely could see the Grizzlies making the playoffs because they almost made it last year with a team that had one less year of experience you know, like they, they have that experience now and experience doesn't always guarantee improvement because the conference got better. That's, that's more of my concern. Like the improvements the Suns made alone makes it tough for the Grizzlies because I mean, the Suns, in my opinion, leap and we'll get to them soon. The Suns leapfrogged a lot of teams with their off season. So the Grizzlies, unfortunately are one of those teams and the Grizzlies are going to have a lot to work through. Like they still haven't played with Winslow. They traded right. for him last year. He still hasn't played. So we don't know how that fit is going to work. And even if it does work, it's going to take months for it to start working and he's not going to start the season. So, and I haven't, I haven't seen a timeline for him or Jaron Jackson. So I don't know if you have, but the article I'm reading does not, say a timeline for them it just says they're gonna miss time so at this moment we don't know but like those are two important players especially jackson like jaron jackson is amazing like his bubble before he got hurt Mm -hmm. he was on fire like and the special thing about him is that he's he's a big man so like his his shot blocking and his post work that's what you know you think of but this dude can catch fire from three, like like some of the best shooters in the league. I mean, like he leg- he can put points up in a hurry, and that is a scary thing when you are like not even well. You could debate whether he's the best prospect on our team or not, but either way, I mean, John Morant, like when you have those two on the same team, that that is a lot of upside right there. And when you have a superstar like Brandon Clark coming off the bench. I mean, that just rounds everything out. Uh, 
But re-signing D'Anthony and Melton this offseason was very low-key, good as well. I don't think well. I had him in the rotation. I should have put him in there. Silly yeah. Man. D'Anthony and Melton, man, like, going back to the draft, like, that was a draft that I actually studied up pretty well on. And I really wanted the Pacers to get him because I thought he had he had potential to be an awesome defender. And his shot was coming along at USC. Like, he hadn't really shown it all yet. But it was coming along. and. And he's been much better on the offensive end. Like, his his game is starting to fill out um, as a whole. So, I think he – like, he's low-key a very important piece of that core. Like, I think he could end up being one of the big four in that team. Like, like right now, we kind of look at it as Morant, Jackson, and Clark. You know, maybe you could throw Winslow in there. But D'Anthony Melton's really good, too. Um, and it, it kind of sucks for them that they that they did lose Josh Jackson because he he actually fit he fit them pretty well. Um, but you know they ended up drafting Desmond Bain, who's who could probably fill in for that role. Um, he's kind of like one of those grit and grind types. I, I like that they've been able to continue the grit and grind with a new era. But uh, but yeah, I, you know I, I like the team and the core is still intact and. I'm still very excited for the future, but there's just a lot of good stuff going on in the West right now, and they're just a little bit too young. Um, I, I still think they have a shot at the playoffs, but it's going to be a tough uh, uphill battle for them. So, okay, a couple things. You said everything that really, you know, I thought I wanted to say. I mean, you're talking to the Jaron Jackson fan club right here. So, like Jaron Jackson is probably my favorite player in the league because he's so smooth, but he's so cocky. <laughs> like it's just an incredible mix. Like you don't see that very often, just generally speaking. So my ceiling for them, I was, I was surprised. I was not as high on them as you were. I had the ceiling as seventh and the floor as 12th. I could just see some things going wrong, breaking wrong in them missing the playoffs and a couple teams being better than them. I don't think 12 is likely. I think 10 top 10 is more play in tournament is probably the safest option for the Grizzlies. But I think that there could be some things that break wrong and they miss the play in tournament. But so Tyus Jones, great backup, great backup point guard. I love Tyus Jones. I think he's one of the best backup point. Like that's a guy the Clippers could try and steal if they wanted to try and improve. Um, Desmond Bain. So you brought up the grit and grind toughness, but do you know that Desmond Bain is a, was a career 40% shooter from three in college, four years worth of attempts. So it's not like this guy's, he's going to come in and fill a huge hole for them. I think that he could end up being the starter at three by the time we're at the all-star break or, you know, whatever they're calling the all-star break this year. I think that they're going to be, He's going to be a huge, huge piece for them. Um, Xavier Tillman, just based on what Caleb told me, you know, Caleb, big, big 10 guy. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at the Desmond Bain stats right now. Last year, 44% from three on 6.5 attempts a game. So he's going to probably be able to come in and take a step back and make, keep making those threes. I'm not too concerned about him. Um, Xavier Tillman's going to fill a backup, you know, like Brandon Clark won't be the only bench big <laughs> to try and 
be counted on to produce. Valanciunas, I think, is an often forgotten piece of this puzzle. I think he fits really well with the Grizzlies. I don't think there's a lot of places he would fit. But in a Budenholzer light system that I like more because I think Jenkins is actually surprisingly more prone to adjust than Bud is. We'll have to wait to see. But I thought he did a good job this season. I think that the Grizzlies, to me, they should be a top 10 team. I just, you know, I need to see it first. <laughs> but I think that Bain and Tillman are going to be two great rookie additions. And I think they they just are going to get better, like you said, one year later. So the Grizzlies are a fascinating team, man. I, I love the Grizzlies. They're, they were my favorite team last year to watch. And, you know, one thing I just thought about with Jaw is when De'Aaron Fox made that leap from his first year to his second year that, like, shocked everyone because point guards just don't develop quickly. Like, it, it usually takes a few years for a point guard to really settle into himself in the league. And De'Aaron Fox just jumped. Like, he jumped quicker than I've ever seen a guard. And we saw last season that Jaw really just took over right off the bat, which is very rare for a a lead guard at that age to do. Usually it's just very rough in the beginning. So it could go one way or the other where maybe his age catches up to him and he kind of stays where he was kind of like Tatum where Tatum was really good off the bat. And then his second year was, it wasn't, it wasn't worse, but it wasn't as good as people thought because of how good his first year was. So it could be like that with Jaw, where he's either the same player or just slightly better and people are disappointed. Um, Or it could go the other way, like Darren Fox, where he makes a massive leap in his second year and all of a sudden, you know, he's like – he's almost – maybe he turns the Grizzlies into like a thunder of last year where they're just – they keep climbing up those standings and no one really understands it, but – you just look at you look at Jaw and it's like okay, well if this dude's playing this damn good, then I get it. So, you know, I think it it could end up like that um, for them, but you know we'll just have to see. I mean, I point guard play is kind of volatile, so for someone like Jaw, that's that's uh, very like throw himself at the rim and see what happens. And it's it's controlled, but like also a little a little not controlled. So we'll we'll see we'll see what ends up happening. But the play of Jaw could uh, I think that kind of is what defines their ceiling and floor for me. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with that. Um, but again, interest of brevity, even though this is not brief. Let's go ahead and move on to the mediocre. I mean, excuse me, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, the Minnesota Timberwolves, their rotation is looking like it'll be Rubio at point guard, Russell, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, the number one overall pick, Juancho Hernan Gomez as the four, which I thought was surprising. Cat, obviously, Carl Anthony Towns, Malik Beasley, Jake Lehman, Josh Kogi. I mean, huge Josh Kogi heads. Ed Davis is on this team and Jarrett Culver. So Dylan, I don't feel like there's a lot of optimism for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I don't think they deserve a whole lot. Um, what's your ceiling and your floor for the Wolves? Okay, so the Wolves fall into my my last tier of the conference. So by definition, 
I'm going to go ahead and give them a ceiling of the 11th seed. Um, but at the same time, they get a floor of the 15th seed. And, you know, you look at the roster and it's like, okay, so you have Cat, so that's a good start. And then you have D'Angelo Russell, who they they just – they did a lot to get D'Angelo Russell – and, like, when you can give up Andrew Wiggins, it's a pretty easy choice. But, like, D'Angelo Russell, they act like he's going to be some sort of cat savior and, like, convince Cat that he should be in Minnesota long term. I think it's more likely that D'Angelo Russell's like, hey, you think we can both get out of here? Because this sucks. <laughs> I think that might happen after this year or at some point during the season because it's just not good. But – I mean, D'Angelo Russell is – he can be a good scorer, but outside of that, he doesn't do much. Um, Rubio being back in there is just – is it's good for Cat, but, you know, everyone else I don't know about. Anthony Edwards we just don't know yet. Uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez should not be a starting power forward in the league. Josh Akogi I like a lot, but – He'll be on the bench, so it doesn't matter as much. Malik Beasley was good last year um, for them. Jarrett Culver was horrible last year, but, you know, they were they basically made him their point guard after a little bit, and that should not have been what happened, but they didn't really have a choice. So he'll figure it out at some point. He's going to be more off the ball now than he was last year. It's just It's just weird, like – it's not that I hate the players on the roster. I just don't see how they fit at the moment. This is the most mediocre roster in the NBA to me. Like, so, okay. So my ceiling was ninth and my floor was 13th. I just, I think they could make the top 10. I don't think it's very likely, but I mean, Cat and Russell by themselves could give you 55 points a game, right? Uh, it's just hard. And how, much, how much do they give up in the process? 56, probably. <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, you're not going to find a point guard center duo that's going to be as potent as those two. Right. But the pick and roll defense is going to be ghastly. Um, and Anthony Edwards is a rookie. You can't really expect too much out of a rookie wing. You know, he's going to have a lot of expecto- expectations. Ugh, foisted upon him. That's what I was trying to say. That's what came out of that gobbledy gook mess there. You're right about Wancho. He's like an eighth man. I mean, that's fine. I would want him as the eighth man on like maybe a mid-tier playoff team. Not as a starting four. That's not that's not going to do it for me. And they'd probably be better off starting Jake Lehman, which is crazy because Jake Lehman's good, <laughs> but he's not like anywhere near what you need. He's also probably an eighth man. Okay. This is the team's problem. It's full of eighth men. And you aren't going to get to your destination by having a bunch of guys who, you know, you know, I'd really like that guy at the end of a rotation. That's not going to solve your problems. D'Angelo Russell is an interesting case. I don't know. He's going to, they're going to be a really bad defensive team, but I mean, he'll be getting set up, I guess, more at two. So it's a good thing, I guess. I don't know. I don't like this team. 
I don't like this team. And I don't think they'll finish 15th, though. I think that there's three teams that are definitively worse than they are. And one of those teams might finish ahead of them. But I don't think that the I don't think that they're worse than the Pelicans, the the Kings or the Thunder. And depending on what happens with the Rockets. So I could see them getting close to the play in tournament, but I don't I don't think that that's probably likely for the Wolves. You know, they probably are like, we'll see. I have them as the best team in my final tier, but that tier is a bad tier. So I don't really care enough to differentiate that much. Like it's if they end up 13th instead of 15th, like, you know, what's the difference? Like (laughs) it's, I mean, they definitely have the best player. Well, they probably have the best player of all those teams. But so this is some real Rashawn Holmes eraser, sure. <laughs> Listen, man, Rashawn Holmes will eventually get a cake from me as well. <laughs> I will meet with him after I meet with Giannis. But um, at the moment, I have to admit that the cat is at least a bit better than him. But he definitely falls at number two. But yeah, I just this this final tier is worthless to me. So it's. You know, it is what it is. So since it's worthless, let's move on to another team. Assuming I'm assuming is in your final tier, the New Orleans Pelicans. The rotation is Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe starting at the two. This is already a disaster. Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Stephen Adams, JJ Redick, Josh Hart, Kira Lewis, Jackson Hayes, and I have Nikhil Alexander Walker as the tenth man. Um, we don't really need to spend a lot of time on the Pelicans. I think we've shit talked them enough because, and we're going to be exposed to them on a weekly basis. Um, Dylan <laughs> ceiling and floor for the Pelicans. Yeah. So I'm giving them the same ceiling of 10 and four 15. So I actually think this team has the most upside out of that final tier for me, just because they have Ingram and Zion. Like, if you just took one of Bledsoe and Adams away and replaced them with a shooter, I think you could make a case that they could be a top 10 team. Oh yeah. But, but having both of those two in there alongside Lonzo, who has not proven himself as a shooter either, it's just going to be bad. Like the, the roster makeup doesn't make sense. And I understand that it, it like, it's not really meant to make sense because they didn't purposely assemble a team like this. Like they, they made those trades for assets. So it's understandable. Like, you know, they, they got rid of, they got rid of Drew holiday and I think they took on Steven Adams for a first, maybe was it, was that what happened? Something I like think that. So. It, it was they gave them like one of the Milwaukee first, I think for Steven Adams. Okay. Yeah. So they were trying to replace favors with like, you know, a good center. Who Steven Adams is a good center, but again, Zion is going to be much better with a floor spacing center, which is why I think they should trade for Miles Turner. And I will not stop saying that until they do it, but, or at least someone like him. But at the moment, they just seem content on having no spacing at the five. So for that, they will suffer. And putting Eric Bledsoe in there doesn't help either. So, again, like, these are not bad players. And 
Ingram and Zion are a pretty damn good duo. Like, I think they have a lot of upside together, but it's just everything else around them is too uncertain for me to feel good about them. I don't like this team. I I just don't like this team. I have a ceiling of 10 and a floor of 14, and I'm going way closer to the floor. This team, I'm just going to say it. They suck. The Pelicans suck. And here's why, okay? You have a generational superstar who dominates on the inside. What's your solution? Oh, let's surround him with three of the worst shooters in the whole league. A guy that doesn't shoot, a guy that needs to occupy the inside real estate in Steven Adams, and Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball, who are brick, we're bricklayers. I'm sorry, there's really no other way to put it. This team is going to suck because they are going to have no offensive cohesion. And the defense will probably be fine, right? Like, I mean, that's a pretty... I have to say that's a pretty solid defensive unit. But if you're scoring 90 points a game, it doesn't matter that you're only giving up 95. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't like this team. I think this team is going to be really bad. They'll probably trade JJ for, like, assets at the trade deadline, which is going to infuriate me because they should be trying to make the playoffs as often. Like, do what the Hawks are doing with Trey. You have Brandon Ingram, right? Like, this guy... That's the other thing. I don't think Ingram and Zion are going to work together. I just don't. I think that they both need to play four, and they can't both Mm. play four, obviously. I think Zion doesn't want to play five, which I don't blame him. Nobody really wants to play the five. Um, And Ingram thrives at the four. So I don't think it's going to work long term. I mean, I could be proven wrong, and I'd be happy to be proven wrong. But I just – I think that this is a – they – you obviously got to keep Zion between those two. Zion has the higher ceiling as much as I love Ingram, but I don't think that pairing is going to work. And I think that this team, like, I guess I'm kind of going against the grain here. I think this is what happens when asset collecting goes wrong. Cause you just have like a bunch of guys <laughs> and a bunch of first round picks and a bunch of first round picks. Now that Giannis signed the Supermax that are frankly going to suck. Like what does the 30th pick get you? 30th pick gives you jack shit. Like, you get Jimmy Butler once. You get, like, a couple of guys once, right? You don't get anything out of the 30th pick. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the Pelicans, but we need to move on because I'm getting tired. <laughs> and you can tell I'm, by that Pelicans take, I'm getting cranky. Um, I just think one last thing on the Pelicans. I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker is interesting. I think he's going to be an interesting player. But... We don't know because the team is going to have no space. <laughs> Absolutely no no room on the court for anyone to operate. So the Oklahoma City Thunder. I only wrote one word down for them. I didn't write down a rotation, ceiling, a floor. I just wrote in all caps, tank. They're tanking. They're tanking. Dylan, are they going to – is there any way they finish higher than 13th? Okay, let me answer this question with this. So first of all, is Trevor Ariza actually on this team? Is he? And I guess I'm looking at their roster. So they do have TJ Leaf, which is an obviously great addition. Oh yeah. Um okay, yeah, this they have George Hill, I forgot. Hey, George Hill to the Clippers. That's one right there. Oh, that's right. I did propose that in your uh, your text messages. Yes, yes, that's right. And and that actually works salary-wise perfectly with Pat Bev, too. So so there it is. We, we solved the puzzle right there uh, on accident. But let me just say this. 
So let's so slotted between Shea and Al Horford, you have starting Hamadou Diallo, Lugen Stort, and Darius Basley. Uh, I I think that answers your question right there. Yeah. Um. Tank commanders. Um. I we don't really need to say anything else about the Thunder. Um. Horford is gonna be probably rebound, but I I don't want to talk about the fucking Thunder. Do you want to talk about the Thunder? I'm good. I'm All good. right. Let's let's go ahead and move on to the team that we both, I think, fell in love with in the bubble, I think it's fair to say. A team that we both really like, and they made one, probably the biggest addition of the offseason. It's the Phoenix Suns. So their rotation is going to be this guy. You might have heard of him. Name is Chris Paul. You got Devin Booker starting at the two. Mikhail Bridges. They have ESPN has Jake Crowder slotted in at the four. DeAndre Ayton, Cam Johnson, Dario Sarge, Jalen Smith, Javon Carter. And I put Etwan Moore in there off the bench. Um, Dylan, ceiling and floor for the Suns. Okay, so I went with a ceiling of three and a floor of seven. So I just think this this starting unit very well could rank in the top five of all starting units in a league. Like this, this lineup is fucking incredible. And, and the thing is, so like the, the one spot where I could see problems is, is Crowder because, you know, we, we know that Crowder is not actually as good of a shooter as he just was in the playoffs. And if he falls back to like that league average or maybe a little bit below, you just slide Cam Johnson in. Right. And that that is why I like this team is they have they have good depth. Like Dario Saric is I hope Dario Saric ends up as the backup five. Cause I actually think he's a better backup five than a backup four. Um, because he's actually very strong. Like in the time in Minnesota that he was backup five for like two months, he was pretty damn that was like the best he's probably ever played. Um, and you know, I do like Jalen Smith who they just drafted, but you know, we, we see backup like young centers foul a lot and I'm imagining that's going to happen with him as well. Um, so if Doris Arch ends up being their backup five, that will be good because theoretically they could play campaign and Javon Carter if they both were good enough off the bench. Like, just looking at how the lineups would work out, you'd have to play both of them for Sarge to be the backup five. Unless Langston Galloway really does it for you. But... No. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. So, uh, you know, they have some good flexibility. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think they legitimately have a shot at the three seed. Um you know, I don't want to say legitimately as in like I think they have a great chance because, again, they're going to be battling one of the two Lakers teams, the Nuggets and the Mavs, who I think they're below. But at the same time, it wouldn't shock me if they ended up playing a little bit better than than one of those teams. They'd have to be better than Utah and Portland to get up there too. So it's not an easy road but I do think the talent is there and I think they all fit together like perfectly. Um, so that for that reason, there's, it would really, really surprise me if they finished below the seventh seed. 
So I had, I'm surprised because I thought I was high on the, on the Suns. I had them, they're ceiling at five and the floor at 10. Mm. I think that, listen, we love the, the top end talent. The starting five is legitimately great, right? The starting, I would say the eight man rotation is one of the best in the league. I, I would say seven man actually, because I don't know how I feel about it past guy eight. Now that I'm putting more thought into it, right? Like they had a great run in the bubble. That's campaign shot. Like he played like he'd never played before. Like I'm a Bulls fan. Okay. <laughs> I'd watch. I'm intimate with the Cameron Payne experience. He sucked. <laughs> he sucked. And yes, am I salty that we traded one of my favorite all-time players for him for like it included picks and included the guy we traded um, Gary Harris and Yusuf Nurkic for? Yes. Yes, I am. Let's not talk about that part, though. I just think that they got really, really lucky with campaign. Um, they did it without Ubre and Baines, which is great for them. I do think that Sarge is a backup five. I thought he played really well in the bubble. I thought he was... He basically did his best Boris Diaw impression, which is, I think, what his destiny is going to be, like, is what his potential, like, ceiling is as a player. Like, and to be the next Boris Diaw, you know, he's probably not going to, like, be on yachts all the time like Boris is, but it's a damn good life. Um, Chris Paul is obviously a huge addition. Like, that's, that's easily... That vaults them, you know, that backcourt is elite. Like... Defense, obviously, with Booker is something that's going to be a struggle, but Chris Paul and Booker on offense, that's going to be a potent offense for sure. I think that they could repeat the Chris Paul 5 seed, but I just I can't see them being better than L.A.'s, Portland, Denver. <laughs> I really have a hard time seeing them be better than Utah. Um, I think six is probably a comfortable prediction spot for me. But even then, Dallas, I forgot about Dallas. That's the problem, right? Like, there's so many good teams in the West that you could reasonably slot ahead of them. But Mikhail Bridges, I think, is a running, is an Alex Dillon basketball power hour favorite. I think he's one of the, like, I think we agree on that. And Crowder's defense is going to be, is a huge addition, too. Like, don't sleep on that. I think Miami's really going to miss it, and Phoenix is really going to gain from it. Because Crowder. Crowder's basically a power forward now. Like, not basically. He is a power forward now. Like, he's not a small ball four. He's just a four. And I think his strength is really going to benefit them because you need strength. Like, you need strength like that. I think that's more important than big man today than actual height, if that makes sense. Because if you can bully a guy out of a post, most guys can't post up anymore. Like, they don't have counter moves like that anymore. I think strength is more important than, than size. So, the Suns, to me, are a fascinating team. Um... Again, interest of brevity. Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> this is another fun team. The rotation is going to be Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum. I believe Rodney Hood will be the starting three. Robert Covington at four. Yusuf Nurkic at five. And then the bench will be Anthony Simons, Gary Trent, Derek Jones Jr., Carmelo Anthony, and Edis Cantor. So, Dylan, ceiling and floor for the Portland Trailblazers. So I have them at the same as the Suns. I, I'm giving them a ceiling of three and a four of seven. Um, I think those two teams are pretty close. Like, I think where we differ is that you think Portland's probably a little bit better than I think they are. Um, I think that's where a lot of our agreements kind of crumble in that middle middle area of the conference. But 
I mean, I like I like what Portland has here, but like you want to talk about the Suns bench. I mean, does this Portland bench really do it for you? Like, so first of all, I mean, what? Okay, what the team stands on is you got you know obviously you have Lillard and Nurkic as the two best players, and then. Um, or Covington, you know, those are the three. Let's just say that that's a great three. CJ McCollum is not anything special as we've mentioned many times. It's, it feels mean at this point, but he's still, a, he's still a very good shot creator. So um, like at the three, it's either hood or Derek Jones jr. If it's Hood, that starting unit is pretty damn good. But then, if it if if Hood is starting, the bench is it just awful. Honestly, like is Carmelo Anthony the best player on the bench? I mean, the way he played last year, that's not a horrible thing. But Anthony Simons, I don't believe in at all at the moment. Like, I don't think he's just based on what we've seen. I don't think he's capable of leading even a bench offense. Gary Trent is a good off-ball player, but, you know, it's not hard to find those guys. And Enos Cantor is a good backup center. Um, Zach Collins I forgot about. I don't. It looks like he's out. I don't know how long that's for. But, but – and the thing about Zach Collins is I think they actually probably should trade him. Like, yeah. they – they just need to – it just doesn't make sense because he's he's destined for this team to be a backup, and he's better than a backup. Like, he – honestly, if he ended up in New, New Orleans as their center, he – you know, he's still better by the rim, but he can shoot. So, like, that would be much better than having Steven Adams. Like, if they – if they traded him for like – if they traded him for Nikhil Alexander-Walker, I mean, that wouldn't be – an awful trade like that would work for both sides or something like that. Like they, they just need a more reliable, like creator wing type off the bench. And as good as that starting unit can be, I just really, really worry about that bench. I mean, the logical move is to move CJ to the bench and start Gary Trent and Rodney hood. Right. That's the logical move, but they're never going to do it because CJ has been starting too long. Yeah. And I mean, CJ is a starting caliber player in the league. Let's make that abundantly clear. Like he's, we give him a lot of shit, but he's good. He's just not as good as like your average NBA fan. Like, oh, Damon CJ, one of the best backcourts in the league. Like, yeah, that's mostly off the back of Damian Lillard. <laughs> like, I think I was wrong when I said that CJ was Lou Will with better PR. Because I'd rather have CJ a thousand times out of a thousand over Lou, but and that's that's a logical move though right it's just to start start Gary Trent make your lineup basically Nurkic Lillard pick and rolls or just heavily stagger them I mean even then though I guess talking it out in my head like the lineups with CJ as your like main handler haven't really been great so I I think you're right I just think that Dame is one of those high like ceiling players, right? Like that you were talking about earlier with Steph and Jokic and Kawhi and LeBron. I don't think he's maybe quite at their each of their levels because he's smaller, but I think he can get them to a higher seed than they probably deserve. Like he's been doing that for the last seven years. 
So I'm I'm just gonna I'm putting my trust in Damian Lillard. That's that's all I'm gonna say about that. I mean, again, like that's fair because most of my Mavericks optimism comes from Luca. So like you know, and, and same with the Nuggets and and Jokic. Like if you believe in if you believe in the best player on their team that much, like you're gonna be confident in them. And, and I love Dame. Like he's been. He's been my favorite or at the very least one of my favorite players in the league for like the past five years now. So, I mean, and he seems to always like they've been one of those teams that have outperformed expectations a lot. So, you know, I I don't doubt them at all. Like they very well. And again, I I still I have their ceiling as a three seed. Like I I think they have that potential. Um, But I think it's more likely they settle at least a couple seats lower than that. Oh, I think they'll be probably around five or six. I just think that they're going to be, I think that they're like their top quality talent is better than a lot of the other teams, like below them's top quality talent, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I think that one through seven, as crazy as it is to say, just because of Dame and Nurkic and Covington, I think I'd rather have the trailblazers in the suns. Like, Booker and CP and Bridges and Aiden. That's I mean, that's a great for it. Like you really couldn't do much better than that if you tried. But I think I'd still just because Dame is so good, like and he's so game breaking, and then Nurkic is is Joakim Noah reincarnated. I mean, you know that it will give him a special place in my heart. But I don't know. I, the Blazers are going to be a fascinating case for sure because. They have high expectations. I think this is the first time in a while they've actually had high expectations coming into a season. And so we'll see if they live up to those. A team that has never had high expectations since I've been following basketball, <laughs> the Sacramento Kings. That was a great transition. Um, so this is, a, this is a doozy of a rotation. So De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes, Harry Barnes, our old friend, Marvin Bagley, Rashawn Holmes, Tyrese Halliburton. This is where it starts to get really wacky. <laughs> Glenn Robinson, Hassan Whiteside, and Nemanja Bialica. That is a um, as rough as they say. So I, we, I really don't want to spend a lot of time on the Kings, but Dylan, ceiling and floor <laughs> for the Kings. So I went with the ceiling of 11 and a floor of 14. Um, so... My heart wants to believe in them more because I love De'Aaron Fox. But – and I I have been on the record multiple times saying I really like Therese Halberton. Um, But, I mean, they just lost Bogdanovich for nothing. And That's the NBA's could, fault, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could say it that way, or you could just blame Joe Dumars as we like to do here. I mean, I like to blame Joe Dumars, but let's let's be let's be real, Dylan. Let's be real. Come on now. I mean, you, I'm not like a huge conspiracy guy, but this was this was so fucking obvious that the league was just like, okay, this was too blatant of tampering when last year Kemba Walker signed with the Celtics two hours before the moratorium lifted. But continue, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, shout out to the NBA for letting the big teams win and the small teams get fucked. But I mean, so first of all, I had no idea Glenn Robinson the third was on this team. Um, you know, I have a special place in my heart. He had some he had some uh some moments on the Pacers, so I give him that. 
Here's here's my problem. Having Hassan Whitehead and Frank Kaminsky on the same roster should not be legal. I, I think they should be banished from this the league. Like that just employing those two, you can employ one. We'll give you shit for employing one of them and you're just we'll get over it. But employing both of them, like we need we need the FBI in on this shit. This is this is just criminal mischief right here. <laughs> to employ these two. <laughs> I mean, you're the biggest the biggest Hassan White side hater I know. Um and Thank I don't you. know who the I don't know who the biggest Frank Kaminsky hater in the world is, but I think collectively as a whole, everyone hates him. So it just kind of works out, but just employing those two alone, they have no shot. Um, And, you know, Marvin Bagley missed like the majority of last season. I think, I, I think Marvin Bagley's fine. He's not great. Like I just, I don't see, there, there's really no chance of them being better than last year. Like, I just don't see where any improvement's coming unless Therese Halliburton's like the rookie of the year. Outside of that, I just – I don't see it. So, I won't be long on the Kings because I'm, ve- I'm getting very tired. <laughs> and I do not want to spend my time – my night talking about the Sacramento Kings. Okay. I should say the Sacramento Kings – because I have them with a ceiling of 10 and a floor of 15. They could be worse than the fucking Thunder. It's a very real possibility. And I, I love De'Aaron Fox. I love De'Aaron Fox. I like Buddy Heald. I like Harrison Martins. I like a lot of these players. But Hassan Whiteside, man, nobody, he shouldn't be in the league. <laughs> like, it's crazy. He puts up, like, the emptiest stats. Like, we talked about Andrew Wiggins' empty stats towards the beginning of the pod. He puts up the definition of empty stats. Like you, this is the guy, right? Like if you haven't, like if you were playing fantasy basketball, you want Hassan Whiteside on your team. So like, let's just take a look at some of the stats he's put up the last couple of years. So 14 and 11, 17 and 14, one of his years with Miami, 14 and 11, 14, 12 and 11, 15 and 13 with almost three blocks a game this year. Great counting stats, but he doesn't actually do anything that's worth a damn. He's always going for blocks. He's always going like he's always out of position. He never boxes out. Like, and that infuriates me because those are just teams that you do to help. Like you sacrifice your stats to help the team win. Like if you, if you're doing those things to sacrifice your stats and you still put up stats, that's great. But if you're not, then you need to just, and it's just frustrating. I don't know. I don't know why I'm ranting about Hassan White said I did not want to do that. I just don't think the team makes sense. I think Lou Walton's a terrible coach. Um, and like, it's stunning the drop off they had from Jaeger to Walton. Like it's truly stunning. Cause they were almost a playoff team. And then they fell back to being mediocre last year. I thought that they were still pretty good last year, but losing Bogdanovich for nothing. And while I blame the NBA, the Kings and the Bucks each deserve their own. If I'm doing the blame pie, right? Like if this is a, if this is a pecan pie, the best pie, by the way, um, 50% of the pie goes to the NBA. 25 each goes to the 25% each goes to the Bucks and the Kings. Like they each deserve blame. There's not as much blame as the NBA does. But I don't know. I think this team sucks. <laughs> I just think this team is ass. I'm not gonna apologize for that. I think they suck. <laughs> I think so. In the interest of time, I think these last two teams are two of the least like cared about teams in the league, would you say? <laughs> Like, people probably care about, like, especially now that Duncan and Kawhi and, 
all those guys are gone. Nobody really cares about the Spurs and nobody really ever cared about the Jazz. So let's start with the Spurs. Um, so the rotation looks like it's going to be Derek White, DeJounte Murray, DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, Jakob Pertl, Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell, their first round pick, Rudy Gay, Trey Lyles, and a guy that we both liked from the bubble, Kelton Johnson. So, Dylan, sounds like you were relatively high on the Spurs, ceiling and floor for the Spurs. Yeah, so I give them a ceiling of seven and a floor of 11. I mean, I'm just like, we're we're like four or five years past being able to um, take away anything from Pop because like the past five years, it's felt like they were going to be worse than they ended up being. So, I mean, their bubble performance was a perfect definition of like, or example of what he can do. Because they just played four guards, and it worked. Like, DeMar DeRozan was at the four, and it was working really well. I mean, we talked about that a lot during our bubble pods, that, like, DeMar at the four was really good. And I freaking loved Derek White in the bubble. I thought he was awesome. Like, he he really found his game. Um, and I almost worry that, like, you know – I like, I liked DeJounte Murray, but his – his offense is still so raw. Like, I don't know. I don't know if, if that's going to end up being their guy of the future. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of changes with them. Um, and, you know, I mean, him and white, him and white may work together the more they play, but um, they've got a lot to figure out, but they, there's still a lot of talent on this team. And like, when you put them up against some of these other teams in the West, you think they're going to be worse, but then you realize, Oh wait, they have pop. And to me, that's all it really takes because good coaching, uh, shockingly works out pretty well in the NBA. And not to say that, you know, these teams that he's going, they're going up against like the Grizzlies and those types, uh, for one of those bottom playoff seeds, not to say those teams have bad coaches, but, you know, Pop uh, has a handful of rings, and uh, I'll go ahead and defer to him on that one. Quite literally, a handful of rings. Yes, I don't know. I don't know if you meant that intentionally or not. Like, if you meant the wordplay or not. But, um, yeah, the Spurs to me, they have way too many guards. I do, I forgot to mention Patty Mills because Patty Mills is going to invariably play for this team. They have like six guards, and. They have six guards that can play, excuse me, because I think that's a key distinguisher here. I don't know if you want to count Lonnie Walker as a two or a three, because I think that distinction does matter. Although a lot of bigger twos are becoming threes now, and just a lot of bigger threes are becoming fours, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I don't really like this team either. I think that they're average but pop does give them an advantage and they're really well coached. They execute. Well, I wish they shot a little more threes. That would be nice to just actually like have a team, like a modern offense. Like I thought it was damning that Davis Bertans went to Washington and became expert marksman. Um, this team to me, it's a fascinating team. I keep saying fascinating team. I want to see how they play out. Because they, they won't be able to trade Aldridge or DeRozan. And DeRozan's going to leave in free agency. There's no way he wants to be in San Antonio. I I just don't... I'm like, if he stays, I'll be shocked. But then again, I don't know who would want DeMar DeRozan at this point. 
I thought he played really well in the bubble. I thought he showed out playing the four, but he can't play four for a whole season. He he would get crushed. Demar is small. I think Demar is like two hundred fifteen pounds. Like I know Ingram. I said Ingram's best position was the four, but Ingram's at least tall. Demar is like six seven, like at best. Like, what would you give Demar? Like. Well, I should probably look it up, but I don't. I don't feel like it. I just want to guess. I just want to guess a man's weight. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He's just too small to me. And then I like Pirtle. I think this is going to be. I think he's a good player. I don't know. I want to see Vassell. Rudy Gay becoming a Spur is one of the funniest things ever to me. Like him just thriving on the Spurs because. Like 10 years ago, they would have said, oh, Rudy Gay, most ultimate, not a Spur player. And now he's just been on the Spurs for like what it feels like the last five years. So any, anything else you thought I missed about the Spurs? Um, No, you hit it all. But I, I do love Rudy Gay with the Spurs. Like this, I'm happy it happened this way. I mean, I think he started gain, gaining some fandom back when he was with the Kings because he he started to figure it out with the Kings. Um. And he's carried that over to the Spurs, and it's it's worked out nicely. So I'm happy that uh, that he's figured it out because, I mean, when he was with Toronto and Memphis, it was like – it was basically like addition by subtraction when they got rid of him. So, right. But as soon as he got – well, not as soon as he got to the Kings, but like towards the end of his time there, he started figuring it out. So uh, I'm happy that he's found his way. <laughs> I'm, I looked at the basketball reference page and I have to look it up because Rudy Gay is listed at a very, um, very big weight, actually. I, yeah, he's been really good in San Antonio for sure. Yeah, Rudy Gay is 6'8, 250. Mm. He does not look like he's 250 pounds. The man's got like, man was what he's I can thick. Say. He's he was pretty a really thick. Good, he's got like a really good NBA body. Yeah. And like, that's something that people like Rudy Gay, if I was going to build like a small forward, I would want them to have Rudy Gay's body over like Wiggins's body. Wiggins right. is a stick. Yeah. Um, can't believe we're spending this much time talking about Rudy Gay, but this is so us. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think this team is weird, and I th- I think they're a shoe in for the play in tournament though. Yeah. I think they're gonna be that good. I just don't think that they can be better than that. I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. And let's move on to our last team. The Utah Jazz. Um, so this team is pretty much a mismatch of teams from last year and the year before. Like, it's basically what worked the last two years, each of the last two years, and removing what didn't work. So the rotation is going to be Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell. Um, ESPN had Royce O'Neal starting, but I have Ingle starting. Bogdanovich, Gobert, Jordan Clarkson, O'Neal, Derek Favors, and George ne- George's Niang. I- I'm just gonna say George. Sorry, George. That S is a little pretentious. Um, <laughs> Dylan, what is your ceiling and floor for the Jazz? So I have them grouped in with the Suns and Blazers. So they're they're a three ceiling, seven floor team to me. I think those three teams, like, I just have a tough time differentiating them from each other. Like, I I think they're perfectly, like, in the same tier. Um, so, like, 
I I really like this team on paper because, like, as you mentioned, it's the past two years, like, the best of those moments. So, but really the best part for them is that Donovan Mitchell is way better, question mark, because, like, he was really good in the playoffs. But um, it's just one of those things where I want to see it a little bit more. It, it's hard to imagine that he just goes back to what he was, which was an unreliable volume shooter that couldn't really pass. And he he really stepped out of that in the playoffs. I mean, that series against Denver, he was a, like a maniac. And unfortunately for him and the Jazz, it wasn't good enough. But see, me, Caleb, Lynn, and Zach Griffith did a pod, and we did not believe in the Jazz at all. Like, I think – I think I gave them a gentleman sweep, like the the Nuggets were going to gentleman sweep them. So they proved everyone wrong. Like they just, even though they gave up a 3-1 lead, they played way better than anyone thought because they were shorthanded. They didn't have Mike Conley for the first two games. Uh, Bogdanovich was out. So, you know, they, they did really well for what they had, and Donovan Mitchell was a big part of that. Um Mike Conley, like, I have low expectations for him at this point. It, he's just not the same as he was, and and that's fine. Like, he doesn't have to play a huge role. He could very well be, like, the third or fourth best offense player on this team and be fine. Um, Bogdanovich, like, he was hurt, but I'm assuming he's probably going to come back and kind of hit the floor running. Like, he's – his game doesn't – rely on much like he just shoots <laughs> like that's what his game is and he's really good at it uh, <clears throat> Royce O'Neal whether it's him or Ingles like Royce O'Neal is an awesome defender and Joe Ingles is very good at a lot of things mostly shooting like th- there's just a lot like outside of Mitchell and Gobert like those are your top two you know superstar type guys but really the rest of the rotation, even the bench, are just a bunch of really good, solid players. And like having those having those kind of guys, it really means a lot. Like that gives you really good stability. And we know, especially under Quinn Snyder, they're gonna be a great defensive team. Um, getting Derek Favors back was like kind of shocking almost. Like yeah. I think that would have been one of the few teams I would say he wouldn't go to. So I guess he just felt comfortable there and wanted to go back. So, I mean, good for him that he got that. Um, But, I mean, that's, you know, probably the best backup center in the league right now. You know, at least one of them. I mean, he's a damn – like, he very – he could start. I mean, me and you talked about him going to Boston or the Clippers as their starter, like starting on a legitimate title contender. So having that kind of guy as your backup center is great. Um, and then they re-signed Jordan Clarkson, who was really good last year. So, I mean, I I think they're in the that middle of the pack in the West playoffs, which is a pretty good spot to be in because, as we've discussed all pod, the Western Conference is very good, and the Jazz uh, definitely have a good chance at um, basically being what they've been the past few years. Just hopefully for them, they're able to make that next step in the playoffs when that eventually comes. Yeah, so this is my keys for the Jazz season. It's basically, so Bogdanovich comes back as what he was, right? That's a key factor because he was a 20-point-a-game score for them. Mike Conley is about 50% of what he was in 2019. Because Mike Conley in 2019 was, 
if I'm remembering this correctly, he was practically an all NBA player, right? He was pretty good his last season in Memphis. He was pretty bad last year, obviously. My last key for the Jazz is that Donovan Mitchell shows some of that passing promise that he did in the playoffs because he was an incredible passer. Like he averaged only five assists a game, but that was still the best passing that I think we would agree. That's the best passing we've ever seen from him. And he's not like a natural playmaker like that. Like he can play make for himself, but if he can become a better passer for others and average about six assists a game, I think that unlocks a lot of his game and he becomes so much better as a player. And because they shored up their one like main issue was which was backup center because last year the backup center was like Tony Bradley. <laughs> um, I don't think that there's a lot of bigger jumps you can make. Like Rubio to CB3 from Rubio is a pretty big jump. But I mean, Derek Favors from Tony Bradley, that's a huge jump. Like that's like five levels. So, I don't know. I don't think I gave my ceiling and floor. My ceiling, I actually went a little higher than you. My ceiling is second. Hmm. I think they could finish second. I don't think it's likely, but I think that there's a chance that they come out right. And there's a chance that they could always win more games than they actually end up do winning. That's usually the problem with the Jazz, admittedly. But I have the floor the same as you. I think that their floor is seventh. Like they finished sixth last year, even though I did think that they were probably, you put them in a matchup with Oklahoma city. I think they win against Oklahoma city last year. I thought that they were one of the five best teams in the West. I just thought that again, they tanked to get Denver, which, you know, it worked and it almost worked because they almost made the second round, but the jazz to me, I don't know. Like I like Niang. I like Royce O'Neal. I, the, if I had one glaring weakness for this team is just wing size. I thought Crowder would have been a, a better fit for them than for Phoenix. But I guess Crowder did play for the Jazz, and I don't know how, how much they favor that experience. <laughs> but still, I think that a guy like Crowder would have fit well there. Just something like that, right? Like maybe Markeith Morris. Obviously, Markeith looks like he wanted to run it back with the Lakers, but... That to me is still a glaring hole because Royce O'Neal is only 6'4". And that's something that's very shocking to me watching him play. He looks a lot bigger than 6'4". But he's practically... And Donovan Mitchell is 6'1". I did not have him as 6'1". I thought he was 6'3". But I think that they're just maybe a little too small to compete with the big guns in the West in the playoffs. And I think during the regular season, their continuity is going to be huge. And I think that could give them a huge boost in the regular season. Yeah, the size I didn't really think about. Um, I mean, Mitchell, yeah, Mitchell is small. And that's why, like, despite being a good defender in college, which, I mean, that was one of the, the his draftable traits was his defense. Um, but it hasn't really worked like that in the NBA. And, I mean, six-foot guards just don't play defense. That's just how it is. Like, it doesn't matter how strong you are or how quick you move. It's just being that small, there's only so much you can do because you're going to get killed on screens. Um, You're just going to be shot over. I mean, there's only so much – unless you have an enormous wingspan for your size, it's just hard to keep up. So uh, that's that's definitely a problem. And 
I mean, Royce O'Neal is small, but I think he plays bigger than his size, which is why he looks bigger than he is. Like, he can guard up. Yeah, no and doubt. He, he does it very well. I mean, like, it's always funny. Every time I watch Royce O'Neal, like, I become a bigger fan of him because I, I think I'm always surprised that he's as good as he is. So, when I watch him, I'm like, man, Royce O'Neal really is good, even though I already knew that. I just am reminded because you just never think about Royce O'Neal. And then you watch you watch the Jazz on defense, and it's like, man, like this dude is awesome on the perimeter. Um, and he makes open threes on the other end too. So it's like, damn, like, man, Royce O'Neal. Like, real really just a guy you never think about, but is really good. And obviously the Jazz love him. Uh he'll be there for a long time if if uh he allows it. So that 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 part is definitely astute. Um, but uh it does help that you have Rudy Gobert down below, just in case those guys do get beat. 48 minutes of Gobert in favors is honestly unfair. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Like, I mean, yes, they did play together two years ago. <laughs> but they basically brought favors back on a reduced salary. And he's just going to be – like, he can play with Gobert. He can play behind them. It doesn't really matter. And I think that's going to be huge for their team because favors to me, like, like you said earlier, we wanted favors on like a contending team. And I guess he isn't a contending team, but we thought he could start <clears throat> and to go back to somewhere he's familiar with. I mean, more power to him. I mean, mid-level, I don't blame him. I would have probably done the same thing if I was him, but do you have anything else to say on the jazz before we wrap up? <laughs> I think we milked them, man. We milked them for all they have. Yeah, I think that this is a great episode. Um, Dylan, I'm very tired. <laughs> you you started to hear some of my crankiness towards the end, <laughs> towards the Kings and the – oh, God, it's on white side. Okay, not, let's not get started on this again. All right, so Running Cook Podcast Network, we're taking off. We have listeners in six countries, according to Spotify. I mean, that's that's five more than I anticipated. Five more. And I guess four more if you include Canada, because, you know, they're still in North America. Eh? But <laughs> <laughs> it was such a bad joke. <laughs> you shouldn't have laughed at that. <laughs> so go check out our other stuff on the network. Triple Option Pass. They're they're just phenomenal podcast. Um, great college football content. And college football is heating up really Really good, really good stuff there. Lynn Sanity, NFL, and he's uh, branching out into college basketball too. He's going to have two episodes out. I'm going to put all three of those out tomorrow just because it'll be easier on myself. Um, he has that, the NFL week. What was last week? Was it week 14 or 15? I think it was 14. I always lose track of the week numbers in the NFL. I, I don't, the week numbers are hard to keep track of, Dylan. I'm, that's, that's my statement on it. I can't keep track of the weeks. Well, the bye weeks throw it off because it's always one week ahead what the actual – yeah, it's, right. it gets confusing. It, it's very confusing. I know. I just know the last week is week 17. That's, that's all I yeah. really need to know. Um, <laughs> Circle City Cinema, they've had a busy week. They put out an episode on the on the movie Gone Girl by David Fincher. I love that. I loved, listened to it, and I loved it. It was a great episode. Um, and they also put out an episode on the like Marvel – you know, TV show announcements and Star Wars and also the um, 
the announcement that Warner Bros. is going to be putting all their movies on HBO Max. Um, what else am I missing? Battleground. They actually recorded faster than we did because they finished. They started and finished during our runtime. Incredible stuff. Um, they, they should have an episode out this week, too. And then I think that's everything. Oh, I don't think I think I've forgotten. To, I've neglected to do this, Dylan. You got a newsletter. Got a newsletter. Tell them about your newsletter. So I have a newsletter that is different from basketball because I have to balance myself out, you know. So it's called Heavy Pockets. I I try to cover what I see as the most interesting stories in business. And I try to appeal to people that maybe wouldn't be as interested in business. So, like, I try to make them somewhat interesting – um, I mix a little bit of different stuff in there, like some personal development, motivation type of stuff, whatever I'm feeling that week, basically. But yes, Heavy Pockets newsletter on Substack. Uh, if you can't find it, you can go to my Twitter at by Dylan Hughes, and it will be linked at the top. And I do have to say, I'm not just saying this because Dylan's my co-host. There are some pretty interesting angles in there. I, I'm not very interested in business at all, quite frankly. You know, all I, the only business I care about is the money that's in my pocket. <laughs> but I, I appreciate the angles at which you look at things. I, it makes me appreciate your basketball, your basketball mind more. But on that note, this has been a long, long episode, but it, it was worth it. It was worth it. And if you made it through this whole thing, we love you. And Dylan will buy you a cake. Everyone gets a cake. <laughs> if you if you made it through this whole episode and you want us to buy you a cake, just tag us at Alex Burfour and at by Dylan Hughes. We will we will send you money so you can buy yourself a piece of cake. Well, I'm not gonna give you like ten dollars. I'll give you like you could buy like one piece of cake for like three. You work at a like a grocery store. You, you could buy like a piece of cake for like three dollars, right? Yeah. You get a like nice a, piece of cake for a handful of dollars. Yeah. Like we're not going to send you like an exorbitant amount of money. We're not like, we're not Bezos, but buy yourself a piece of cake. Well, <laughs> Dylan, thank you. This was a wild episode and every episode has been better than the last. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, sir. It will continue to get better. I believe always, always. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you.